Good morning, brothers and sisters, and happy Sunday. I hope you guys had amazing weeks, because I know I definitely did. If you didn't know, this past Monday, me and Lois actually celebrated our very first wedding anniversary. Crazy one year of marriage. It really went by, went by so fast. I feel like just yesterday, me and her were walking down the aisle. Um, but it has been an amazing first year of marriage. And I know that 2020, I feel like we hear it every week, has been crazy. But there are some still good things happening in 2020, including our first year of marriage and stuff. So I kind of wanted to start off with some encouragement and, and show you guys some highlights of our first year of marriage. Um, so I think the, the first highlight I want to share with you guys that was just so awesome during our first year of marriage was our honeymoon. Obviously, here's a picture of us at the beach. We actually went to, to Carlsbad for our honeymoon down near San Diego. And oh my goodness, it was the best week of my life. <laughs> just being able to eat together and um, and try all these different food places and, and just make memories to go to the beach and just to hang out with each other 24-7. Oh my gosh, it was such an amazing experience. And just to, to kind of start off our, our, our new married life over there in Carlsbad. Um, but another kind of cool highlight that I want to share with you guys too was um, being able to serve alongside what we call the dream team. Here's a picture of us. This is the Inland Empire team interns. And uh, it was just awesome serving with them. I know we were, we were serving together prior to us getting married, um, but still just being able to work with them and, and really strive to help move the team ministry forward and to bring glory to God through the youth and family ministry was just amazing. And what's crazy is, is all of us are all married to our significant others. When we first went to the teens together, all of us were either dating or engaged. And, and now all of us are married in our different perspective ministries now, doing bigger and better things. But that was definitely a highlight, just learning from each other and moving forward together. Um, and another highlight of our first year of marriage was just kind of the getting to know each other's kind of perspective families a little more. And here, here's a picture of our families and different vacations and stuff like that. Um, but it's just so cool just learning about each other's cultures and um, family dynamics and stuff like that. And I really like we, this year we've gotten so much closer to our prospective families and how we're slowly but surely making us, making our families into one big family, you know? And um, But that's definitely big, been a big, big highlight um, for our first year of marriage. But I also just wanted to personally thank you uh, on the, uh, you know, watching right now at home, brothers and sisters at home and uh, thank you for believing in us and supporting us and loving us. And I don't know, not, I do not know where it would be without you and the support and the, and the love that you've given us. Um, so thank you again uh, for all that you do for us and, and taking care of us in so many ways. Um, but if you're joining us for the first time this Sunday morning, uh, we've been doing a series together as a church called Kingdom Come. And really the purpose of this series to help kind of direct our hearts in the midst of all the craziness of 2020 to the perfect, perfect kingdom of, of King Jesus and how King Jesus' kingdom is not far off or unreachable, but is it's here on earth now. It has come. And as I was praying and, and meditating leading up to, day, to, to, to today, and I really feel like God was prompting me to, to kind of preach on this specific topic. Because, you know, for the, fat, the, the, the last few weeks, we've been kind of talking about kind of where our allegiance should be. Um, when it comes to the empires of this world and our allegiance should be in, in the kingdom. Um, but today I really want to focus on a quality or a trait of, of citizens of God's kingdom. Especially in, in, in view of all the stuff that's happening right now, this specific trait I feel like is so vital for all of us to have as citizens of God's kingdom. So the title of the, the lesson this morning is called Kingdom Mercy. So we're going to be talking about mercy, amen? So, so turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5 or 7. 
And uh, we're going to be reading a, a portion of, of the Beatitudes, okay? So this is going to be our theme theme little scripture for today. And uh, the Riverside Church actually did a whole series on the Beatitudes about a year ago. Um, and if you don't know what the Beatitudes are, they're essentially a, a list of qualities and traits that all citizens of the kingdom should have in order to be blessed and happy. And Jesus taught these Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So let's read a portion of this together today. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 7, this is what it says. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So so Jesus is, is clear here, right? Blessed are those of us who show mercy because when we do so, we will end up being shown mercy. So, so being men and, and women full of mercy is such a vital part of who we are as Christians because, mostly because we, we serve God has been so merciful to us. You know, God has shown me in ways that I, man, I, I can't even describe. You know, first and foremost, I was able to marry the love of my life, uh, my best friend, despite the immorality and impurity that I, that I did growing up. That I have a roof over my head and that I have a job um, and an income despite all the foolish financial decisions I made um, as a broke college <laughs> a broke college student. And most importantly, that all my sins are forgiven and that I have heaven to look forward to despite how blatantly, uh, you know, I have blatantly disrespected God time and time again. Um, but how my sins are still forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. So I wanted to start today off, and I don't think it would have been good for us to talk about mercy without first talking about how God has been merciful to you. So church, how has God been merciful to you? Just take a second to think about it right now. How has God been merciful to you? Just look back, look past just the hurts and, and the pain and the trials that you, you know, may have faced and many of us have faced, but, but think about how God has been in there despite the different things that have happened. How God has been merciful to you. How God has blessed you. And you think about those different things. He's been merciful to us, not because we deserve it, but because we're his children and he loves us. And because of this great mercy God has shown us, how much more should we, as citizens of God's kingdom, show mercy to those around us? Okay, but now here's the kicker. Too often, mercy is not our first instinct, isn't it? When someone wrongs us, when someone offends us, when someone hurts us, our first instinct tends to be, okay, we gotta be defensive, we gotta be judgmental, we gotta get back at that person, rather than showing mercy. And rather than it saying, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, we just think it's, they will be shown mercy, we don't have to be merciful, we take out half of the scripture. But God calls us to be merciful. That this should be in our repertoire as citizens of God's kingdom. That we are merciful in, in response to hurt, in response to disagreement, in response to wrong. But there are two specific things though that I believe can take precedence over us showing mercy because of our sinful nature. So I'm, I'm going to dial it in right now. I'm going to bring us into a focus for today. Two things that Satan, I really feel like, can make us believe are justifiable excuses for Christians not to show mercy. Two things that prevent us from showing mercy. And those things are this. The desire for retaliation and our over-dependence on religion. So we're going we're gonna to dive deep into those distractions. Those things that prevent us from showing mercy and how we need to be merciful 
or those things. Amen, church. Before we dive into the scriptures, let's bow our heads for the prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your love and thank you so much for your mercy. God, we don't deserve this life. Um, we don't deserve our sins to be forgiven. Um, but thank you for Jesus and, and the perfect illustration of mercy that you've uh, demonstrated through him, Father. But I pray that you can be with me, speak through me, help me say what you want me to say, God. And I pray that you can open our hearts and help us be receptive to your message. In your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, point number one, mercy over retaliation. Retaliation, that first kind of thing that prevents us from showing mercy. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. This is later on in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 42. This is what he says. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. So, so Jesus here is referencing an, an Old Testament teaching that we see back in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. But we still see this concept of eye for eye, tooth for tooth today. You know, this idea of, you know, when, when someone wrongs us or hurts us in some sort of way, we gotta, we gotta take revenge. We gotta get back at them. We got we gotta retaliate. And as I was thinking about this concept of, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, I couldn't help uh, but think about, you know, when, when people come up with super awesome comebacks. Have you guys ever made a comeback or encountered a comeback before? This this kind of form of retaliation. And if you don't know what comeback is, it's, it's a quick, witty reply, usually in response to like a, a snide remark. And, and there are three specific people in my life that I truly believe are the best at coming up with comebacks. The best. And those three people are my older brother, Kevin. My older sister Kayla and my wife Lois. Like we could be, we goofing around, you know, in a family, we kind of poke fun at each other and stuff like that. And I could say something to one of them and in a, in a second, they come up with the most soul piercing comeback that just rips me to, to, to shreds. Um, and I don't know how they're just blessed with this gift of the comeback. So I want to help those of you just like me who kind of struggle in coming up with comebacks. To kind of help prepare you in response to the Kevins, the Kaylas, and the, the Loises in your life. I'm going to bless you with some comebacks. So take some notes so you can put it in your back pocket so you're prepared when, you know, a situation comes up where you got you to gotta come up with a comeback, all right? So here are four comebacks that I found on the internet. Okay, hopefully they're, they're good. Number one, you have your entire to be a jerk, your, your entire life to be a jerk. Why not take today off? Number two, you always bring me so much joy as so as soon as you leave the room. So just please go. <laughs> Number three, I was going to give you a nasty look, but I see you already got one in your face area. And number four, someday you will go far, and I really, really, really hope you stay there. All right, so I hope those of you who struggle like me, you are prepared next time someone, uh, you know, says something to you, you have a comeback ready to go. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, amen, this is totally opposite of, of kind of the, the point. But again, I just want us to kind of see like this, this eye for eye, tooth for tooth mindset. And maybe you, you, you know, didn't really experience it in, in a comeback scenario, but just a situation when someone hurts you or wrong you and you want to come back at them. You want to retaliate. You want to take revenge in some way. But th- this is how we work as humans. This is how the world works. Like it's almost like common sense that when someone gets us, we got to get them back. But let's let's continue reading about what Jesus says about 
uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, retaliation. Okay, in verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus gives these completely counterintuitive approaches when it comes to, you know, someone wronging us in some way. If someone, if someone slaps you, okay, let's, you can hit me on the other cheek as well. If someone sues you, okay, no, you, you gotta give them the, the clothes on your back and your coat too. If someone forces you to run one mile, you gotta run another one in, as well, on top of that one mile. Just a, a, a high calling, a crazy teaching. But here's what I, I really feel like Jesus is trying to get us to see. That as Christians, as citizens of God's kingdom, our first instinct when it comes to wrong disagreement is not to retaliate in response, but to show mercy in response. Because again, like I said before, we live in a world where retaliation is normal. But Jesus doesn't call us to be normal. He calls us to be set apart. He calls us to be a light in a world full of darkness. To show mercy, even when we feel like that person just totally does not deserve it. To show mercy anyway. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you something, church, and it might be a total revelation or it might hurt you, but people are going to hurt you. I don't know if that's my point to you, but people are going to hurt you. I'm sure all of you have experienced someone hurting you. And here's another thing. People in the church, in the kingdom, are going to hurt you. What? Chris, no, no way. Yes, people in the church are going to hurt you. And I'm, again, I'm sure many of you experienced it before. People are going to say foolish things. People are going to be unloving. People are going to be unspiritual. And I'm in the church, but even in your families, like wives, your husbands are going to hurt you. I've, I've hurt Lois a lot, so many times this, this first year of marriage, to my shame. But I've hurt her. Husbands, wives are going to hurt you. Boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés, you're going to hurt each other. There's going to be tips. There's going to be disagreements. Friends, coworkers, bosses, students, teachers, there's going to be people who hurt you deeply. And I think a lot of times it's not, I don't think many of us do it on purpose, but it's just because we are, are sinful, we're, we're messed up, and we are need, in need of, of grace and mercy. But you, you look at the world today, Look around us. We need, we need people full of mercy. You know, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I've just been so exhausted when it comes to all this politics stuff. It's like I could be having a conversation and I would even be talking about politics, but I, I might, I'm like walking on eggshells because I feel like I could say something that might trigger someone who might disagree with something I said. That maybe they not even have, have anything to do with politics, you know? And because of this, this political climate, just relationships are being torn apart. Friends, families, brothers, sisters, older generation versus newer generation or younger generation. We're, we're being divided because of these disagreements fueled by disagreements in politics or, or whatever the case may be. And we just keep arguing and getting back at each other and retaliating when someone says something, okay, I gotta say this to this person, I gotta just keep going back and forth, back and forth and, 
relationships are just being torn apart. And rather than rather than being men and women of mercy, we're just retaliating. But church, we need to be set apart from the world. And here's the first step, I feel like, to be a man or woman of mercy. The first step is here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with one another. Okay, I love that first part. Bear with one another. This idea of bearing with one another is just kind of putting up with each other, standing by each other, even when you guys drive each other insane. Bear one another. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Get this. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, we have been forgiven of our sins because of Jesus. And we cannot forget that. And because of that, we need to forgive as well. And rather than constantly trying to retaliate every time someone wrongs you or rubs you the wrong way or you really feel like you deserve it, show mercy. Forgive. Love and move forward together. And church, is there someone in your life that you need to show mercy to? That you need to forgive? A relationship that is just super, just not healthy. Arguments every time you guys talk. Rather than retaliating and just continuing on with this unhealthy, unmerciful relationship, show mercy and forgive. So I want to challenge us, church. Go and show mercy. Don't retaliate. But let's continue on. The second kind of thing that prevents us from being merciful is religiosity. Point number two is mercy over religiosity. So turn your Bible with me to John chapter 8, verse 3. John chapter 8, verse 3. And Jesus, what I love about Jesus is that he went after the religious people the most. And more specifically, uh, this religious elite called the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees had this over-dependence on their religion. They, they were so focused on, on keeping the law and doing everything so perfect and in line that they lost sight on the importance of mercy. So we're going to read a passage where we see just that. So in John chapter 8, verse 3, this is what it says. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now, what do you say? They're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So, this group of religious elite bring a woman caught in the act of adultery before Jesus. And she has cheated on her husband and she was dragged out, dirty, sinful and exposed and the consequence of this specific sin according to jewish custom and law is execution and not just any execution but execution by stoning and this group was was ready to go this this, this religious group of pharisees were ready to go and were ready to condemn this woman because she was caught red-handed there was no escaping but sometimes i forget kind of putting myself in this woman's shoes. Can you imagine what this woman must have been feeling? Like, I know, yes, like, she messed up, but to be brought in front of a whole group, a crowd of people who all know what you did, and then now she's waiting to see whether or not she's going to be executed, to see whether or not she's her life is going to be ripped away from her. But, but she was caught, right, Chris? Like, she was caught. She, she was guilty. She, she broke this sacred covenant she had between her and her husband. 
imagine what she must have been feeling. The shame, the embarrassment. You know, church, it's really easy to look down on other people's sin, isn't it? And I don't think any of us do it purposefully, but you know, when someone commits those just really, really big sins and, you know, you kind of just look down on them and disdain and disapproval and, and we kind of condemn them in our hearts just like the Pharisees did. You know, I know I, I'm guilty of this. Growing up in the church and around the Bible, well, not in this church, but, you know, uh, my, my original church growing up, it, it definitely was a blessing. I, I, God was able to plant seeds inside of my heart that have grown into awesome roots when it comes to my faith in Jesus. But there are some drawbacks when it comes to growing up around the Bible and the church as well. Because I feel like I developed this kind of prejudice towards people who weren't Christians. And I understood that I'm sinful, yes, I, I, I totally understand that. But man, the people of the world, oh my gosh, they are like really, really sinful. Really sinful. And I, I shouldn't kind of be around them too much because if I do, somehow their sin is, is going to kind of rub off on me. And, and, and because of this, I began developing this very kind of religious Pharisee-like mindset when it come, when it came to the, the the sin that other people committed. Like if you were same sex attracted or a part of the LGBTQ community, like I I, I looked at you differently. If uh, you 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 worshipped another god or you're a part of another faith, I I looked at you differently. Or if you had sex before marriage in your relationship, I I, I looked at you differently. Like I I never said it out loud. But I, I kind of condemn these people in my heart. I look down on them like, oh man, you're, you're a sinner. You're messed up. And I was just like the Pharisees. So caught up in my own self-righteousness and my religion that I looked down on anyone who didn't fit the mold of a Christian even when they never even committed to be a Christian yet. I, I judged them based on my religiosity because they didn't fit the mold of what I thought was what needed to happen or what they needed to be. And this is to my shame. And I, I, I say this out loud. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is embarrassing for me. And, and I, I'm disgusted. I, I say this stuff. I'm just like, man, I can't believe this is what's going on in my heart. But that's how, that's how sinful I can be. But what Jesus did in the next few verses just blows me away. And cuts in my heart. Let's look how Jesus responded in this moment. Let's read it. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he strained up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. You see, Jesus redirected the religious, like me, to remember their own shortcomings before they condemned this woman. And... Church, let me preface with this. I, I understand that there is a difference between us and the world. Right? We make Jesus Lord. We have the Holy Spirit. But the, the sin inside of us is no different than the sin of people outside the kingdom. And I needed mercy. I, I needed forgiveness. And we needed mercy. We needed forgiveness. But we also live in a world full of lost souls also in need of mercy and forgiveness. But too often, I see professing Christians focusing so much on upholding these Christian traditions and values rather than showing people the love and mercy that Jesus showed this woman. Because believe it or not, there are so many Christians out there who are known 
not for their mercy, but for their judgment of the world. That people know us for what we're for and what we're against, rather than the merciful king that we serve, Jesus. They know what we believe is right and wrong, rather than the mercy of Jesus, King Jesus, that we are striving to imitate. And that's that's where the disconnect is, church. There's something wrong there. You know, have you seen those those Christians with the picket signs? So those professing Christians with the picket sign on street corners? Here's a picture of one I found on the internet. It just says you're going to hell. How is that mercy? <laughs> How is that mercy? And even I was looking at these pictures online of these picket signs. Some of them are so vulgar and so hateful. And it's crazy that there was little children sometimes holding these signs saying God hates these specific types of people. Like, how is that going to bring people to Jesus? And of course, this is extreme. And I thank God that no one in our fellowship does this, that we don't do this. But although we don't go out and do this stuff, I think these different things and these different judgmental attitudes can still be in our heart. And here's the conclusion that I made. I've come to realize that just because I'm not as vocal as some of these other people doesn't mean I'm any less guilty of it, of this religious thinking, condemning people for their sin. You see, we're, we're trying to, we're trying so hard to, to fix the world and trying to kind of implement the, our Christian values on people rather than trying to get them to first see the mercy of Jesus. Let's keep, let's, let's keep reading in this passage. In verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. <laughs> this is the mercy of Jesus. Perfectly illustrated here. And, and out of anyone in that group that could have condemned this woman rightly, it was Jesus. Him being God in the flesh. But him in all of his power, what did he do? Did he condemn this woman? No, he showed her mercy. You know what, church, the reality is, it's not our job to, our job to judge the world. It's not our job to force people to become Christians. It's not our job to force them to accept the same values as us. If you look at Jesus in this moment, he didn't force her to do anything. He didn't force her to love or obey him. His first response was to show mercy. And I feel like that reaction was what transformed this woman. Not him forcing her to obey. It was first him showing her his mercy. Then she transformed. And then she wanted, I'm sure she wanted to go in and obey him. To follow him because she fell in love with him first. What drew people to Jesus was not his religiosity, but his mercy and his love. You know, Jesus knew religion wouldn't save the world. Jesus knew religion wouldn't save the world. Legislation is not going to save the world, church. It's not. True change will only come through demonstrating the mercy and love that Jesus showed us. That's, that's where true change is going to come. And sometimes we get so caught up in the sin of the world that we forget that we are called to first love the people in it. Rather than condemning the LGBTQ community, we need to be the ones in their lives 
loving them, being their neighbor. Because we can get so fixated on labeling them as sinners and end up treating them differently or viewing them differently, but we forget that these are human beings. Human beings who need to fall in love with Jesus before they can obey Him. Rather than condemning people of other faiths, we need to be the ones in their lives, being a light, showing them how much God has blessed us, transformed us, and forgiven us, and shown us mercy. Just because we don't agree with some of these people, some of these people's ideologies or philosophies, doesn't mean we have a right to treat them any less of a human. To condemn them. Because at the end of the day, church, we, like we talked about earlier, we are all in need of mercy. We are all messed up in need of grace and love. Jesus calls us to be merciful. How are you doing in this area of your life? Are you imitating the mercy that Jesus demonstrated in his life? Or are you prioritizing religious duties and values over being a a person of mercy? So church, I want to challenge us to be men and women of mercy. To not look down on the people of this world, but to rather see that there are lost souls in need of mercy that can only be brought if we show them the mercy of Jesus. Because again, Jesus set the perfect example of, of mercy. And this is a perfect transition into our time of communion. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, it says this, But because of His great love for us, God who is, get this, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This what Jesus did on the cross what is what should fuel us. Fuel us to be merciful. Even when we're saying, no, but I can't, I gotta retaliate, no, I, I gotta, I've gotta uphold my values and I can't be merciful to this person. Even when every part of us, every fiber in our being is saying, don't be merciful. This right here, Jesus' death on the cross and how we are made alive because of him, this is our fuel. This is what pers- should push us to be merciful. We must not forget what Jesus did. He died for our sins. He died for the world's sin. Illustrated the perfect act of mercy in the history of the world. Let's remember the cross, church. Let's be men and women of mercy. So as we take the bread and as we drink the juice, let's remember what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. Let's bow our heads forward to prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your cross. Thank you for the mercy that you you show to us. God, I know that we are messed up and we need you. Help us remember you. Help us remember you in times of our life that is very difficult for us to show mercy. Especially in, in, in this 2020 world that we live in. God, help us not retaliate. Help us not get so focused on our religion, but help us be focused on your mercy. Thank you for your love, and thank you for the cross. In your son's holy name I pray. Amen.